Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business, and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. I was raised in a very conservative Christian background, Southern Baptist Church, three or four times a week. That was like the core and the foundation of who I was, was my faith. And my senior year of high school, you know, some life stuff went down in the family and I, I got insanely depressed and ended up self-harming and was in the psychiatric ward for a week and a half for the first time. Over the next seven years, I was inpatient seven times for self-harm, suicidal thoughts, wanting to kill myself. I hated myself. And I was 19 when I first realized that I was attracted to women. You're listening to Donnie Success Champions, where I believe everybody is on a journey. Life is all about the stories you can tell and teach later. You're going to hear the stories of people who have overcome hardships, failures, and life to find success along their journey. Journey. Alright guys, this is going to be a killer episode. It's going to be really interesting. I'm bringing in Mason Aid and talk about the journey of growing up in small town and discovering who they are on this journey. This is a really, really fun ride and we tackle some controversial topics in it. So stick around, stay tuned. Alright guys, this is going to be a fun, fun episode. I'm your host, Donnie Boving, and I'm bringing you Mason Aid. And yes, that is her name. And we're going to talk about that on the show as we take a deep dive into her story, her life, her everything. Hello, Miss Mason. Welcome to the show. Please tell us your story. Thank you so much. All right. So we're just going to dive right in. So I actually use they, there, them pronouns. How crazy. Really? So like they came on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention that before, but this is like the perfect way to like have that conversation. So yeah, like they came on the show and we heard their story. So it's kind of like there's two of me. <laughs> Mason Aid is in fact my real legal name. Mason was actually my maiden name. And as I started like discovering and thinking about gender identity, I started going by my last name because it was kind of, you know, perfect to kind of reach into this area of like I'm masculine, but I was like, the doctor said, you're a girl at birth. and like, uh, and then when I married my wife, I took her last name because I had this interesting phenomenon where people were like, Hey Mason, what's your last name? And I was like, uh, uh, Mason. And <laughs> so it was really, really nice to take my, my wife's last name. And so now, you know, Kool-Aid, lemonade, Mason, aid done. <laughs> done. You're, Perfect. you know, it, it's like a hip hop rap name. I love it. So, yeah. I mean, next you're going to have to throw down some beats for me though. And uh, you don't, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> it's like me singing. Nobody wants to hear that. Right? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear it. So now it's officially Mason Aid. It is officially Mason Aid. I got it legally changed this spring. Had to, you know, have a court date, pay pay court fees, and 
got it legally changed. I got the driver's license and everything. You know, that, that's serious when you got to go all in and you're paying legal fees and everything else. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's probably going to cost more if you ever decided that you didn't want to go that direction. You know, yeah. whatever happened in life, now you have to double pay, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I I waited a long time to be sure. I was like, yes, this is my name. This is who I am. And, you know, like, it worked really well because – Mason is still keeping my family heritage. Right. Still right. keeping a hold of the family and that and that line. And then my middle name was K, and so I just made it the letter K and kept it the same because that was for my mom's maiden name. And then I have my wife's maiden name, so it's it's just so tied in family. And you know that's something that's really important to me is is family and community. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Funny question. Was it hard to remember that you changed your name? And the only reason I say so, so my real name is Donald. I go by Donnie, but all through the Marine Corps, I was called Bo, right? Because ah. my last name is Bo Veem. There you go. And there's a couple of journeys in my story where I went by Bo. But when people that knew me as Bo – because when you go through the Marine Corps and that's kind of your nickname, that's all you get called. When some of those guys, you know, really found out my my name wasn't Bovine, which you call everybody by their last name, mm-hmm. or it's not Bo, it's Donnie. There was this weird, you know, whole dynamic to wait, who the hell is Donnie? You know, <laughs> did you go through that 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 uh, process? Yeah, like I have gone by Mason for like eight years now, like exclusively. Everyone other than my parents call me Mason at this point. And it's what's weird is now that my parents call me, you know, my birth name and my wife and I get really confused as to who they're talking to because we have some other friends with that name. And we're like, that doesn't. Oh, wait, that's me. That's who you're talking to. (laughs) And so that's kind of that's kind of where it's gotten to is that it's even weirder to be called by the old name than the new one. That's fun. That's fun. All right. So when Heather Vickery was on the show, she was really gracious about correcting me when I put things in improper context and would give me a hard time about it. So if I do that, it's because I don't know the proper nomenclature, just so. Yeah. So, no, I mean, like, that's, that's yeah. my whole thing is that you don't know what you don't know. 100%. So I'm you just going to. You can't learn if you don't screw up. Absolutely. I'm just going to ask. So how did this all come about? All right, so it's really a very long story, but I'm just going to dive in at the beginning. Cool. My wife is a children's librarian and thinks that every good story starts with Once Upon a Time. So uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time, I was I grew up on a farm in rural northeast Missouri. Like, my graduating class from high school was 66 kids, nice. most of whom I'd gone, like, K through 12 with, the whole, the whole nine yards. And I first experienced depression when I was in fifth grade and got bullied for being different. I looked like a little boy until I was in fifth grade. And after fifth grade, I started growing my hair out and, you know, presenting in a more more feminine manner, although I wasn't ever very good at it. <laughs> I wasn't ever very good at being a girl, um, but I tried real hard. And I was, I was raised in a very conservative Christian background, Southern Baptist church three or four times a week. That was like the core and the foundation of who I was, was my faith. And my senior year of high school, you know, some, some life stuff went down in the family and I, I got insanely depressed and ended up self-harming and was in the psychiatric ward for a week and a half for the first time. Over the next seven years, I was inpatient seven times for self-harm, suicidal thoughts, wanting to kill myself. I hated myself. And I was 19 when I first realized that I was attracted to women. And 
you know, I was, I was hanging out with a friend and we were going to a concert and I realized that I wanted to hold her. And like, it was this completely like innocent, you know, it wasn't like the super sexual thing. It was just like this romantic, like, oh shit <laughs> moment <laughs> in my life. Where like, ah. And so for the next four years, I lived in the closet and I hated myself. And those four years were, were absolutely terrible. I applied for disability and got rejected because most of the time you get rejected when you first try. And somewhere along there, my dad started like getting me out of bed because I was so depressed. I was sleeping all the time, getting me out of bed to go help build vents to move cattle from pasture to pasture. Not much more country than that. Right. <laughs> you know, so as I was in those Northeast Missouri fields, you know, putting poles in the ground and string and wire, I started to gain some hope. And I got a job making pizza at a gas station because that's like the only job in town. And, you know, worked at, worked at Casey's making, making gas station pizza and decided to come to the University of Missouri to go to school in the fall. I got accepted to Mizzou. I came to town. And for the first time in my life, there were positive representations of LGBT people. And I saw people like me. And I realized that I had to do something with this attraction. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the answer was, but I knew that I had to do something with it. And so I started to come out. I I came out first to one of my sociology professors and, and you know, that was an interesting experience because I was like, let's get coffee. And she's like, sure, sounds good. And so we meet up at Panera and I'm like, oh, I'm gay. And she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, I just kept coming out and coming out and, you know, I felt like I had three choices as, you know, still at that time, a fairly conservative Christian that I could be celibate. I could marry a man and live a lie, or I could marry a woman and, and kind of live this, this fairy tale life that I had always imagined just with a woman instead of a man. And, and I chose that third option. I realized quickly that celibacy was not the right path for me. And I couldn't do, I couldn't marry a guy knowing that I could never love him the way that I could love a woman. That's not fair to, fair to that guy. Um, so I chose that, that third path. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of loss. My, I no longer have contact with my older sister. She cut me out of her life after I told her that my, my wife and I were getting married and that we plan on having kids. And I've seen her three times in the past four years. And so that's been really hard. But then like somewhere along the way, I started to learn more about gender identity as well. And, you know, for a while was like, maybe, maybe I'm a guy, there's something here. I'm not a woman like other people are women at the very least. And I realized that, that I fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum between male and female. Like I'm not, if you have to put me in a box, I'm more of a feminine man, but I fall somewhere in the middle. Like I am not a woman, but I am also not a man. I'm, I'm this kind of in between gray area. And, and that's where I find myself the most confident and the most comfortable and, and the most authentic when I'm really being myself is when I'm in this kind of third space of gender. Right. So here's a couple of cool things. One, 
I love that you when you came out to your professor and they said, I know. What's funny is a lot of the, the friends that I have that fall in the LGBTQRS, whatever the hell the letters are. <laughs> alphabet you know, soup. Yes, alphabet soup of labeling. Usually when they come out to whoever, the response is, I know. Right. It's most times all of us already know that you're playing a different game than I'm playing, at least. Right. It's in the same token, I totally understand the nervousness, the fear, the the anxiety and everything else that's going to pop up. You know, my family being just a freaking phenomenal family, if I had found that in me, that was my path. If I would have came home to my parents and said, hey, I'm gay, dad's response would have been, you better get at least a good looking dude, right? (laughs) Mom laughed and said, you know, he better be one of the boys. You know, Mm -hmm. they would have embraced and it would have been totally cool. In my family, my household, we don't care, right? That's just mm-hmm. our MLP. You are whoever the hell you are. And my only rule for my life and anything is what the hell you do behind closed doors? That's your damn thing. Right? I, I have no say right. or control. Now, I don't necessarily want to see it, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, I don't want to see it either. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, Not, I don't want to see your closed doors either. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Trust me. My wife doesn't even want to see this all the time, right? <laughs> but it's interesting that – in the day and age we live in, it floors me that people still have problems and issues with this. Yeah. I get the uncomfortableness, like being a guy in the Marine mm-hmm. Corps, you know, had a dude, if they would have, that's mm-hmm. not true. One of my guys that was in the Marine Corps, I absolutely know was 100% gay, and I'm one of the few people that actually knew it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I just, I've been that guy, I've never cared. The only time that would becomes an issue, I think, for people is when they're dealing with their own insecurities. Oh, yeah. You know. It's, it's fear. It comes down to fear. Right. You know, it's coming from a space of fear versus a space of love. You know, my older sister believes I'm going to hell. So her way of loving me is to try to rebuke me to get me to repent so that I will be in heaven with her. And it's screwed up. But I get where she's coming from in this twisted way. Yeah, you know, I've I've had guys on the show and gals on the show that grew up in cults. You know, they come from these crazy walks of life. And I got to say, Manny was the, the one that put it in the, in the coolest perspective, is if you grow up a certain way and that's all you know, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people like your sister that that's all they know. So that's what all their belief system is, and they never got to a point in their life where they wanted to discover who they were as a person and challenge their own belief process. So it's easier to stay the course and follow what you know versus exploring if there may be other alternatives out there. Exactly. And, you know, with me, like I literally reached a point where my parents were told that my future would be living in a group home on disability, maybe holding down a part-time job. For me, the choice was to come out or die. So I chose to come out. Right. You know, and that's, I mean, that's what it made a living flipping pizzas. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, well, not only have you had to go through the whole coming out experience, 
But now you're from a little bitty two-bit corn-fed town. I grew up in as well. I mean, the the little town in Kansas I grew up, 28 people would have been in graduating class. Uh-huh. Elementary through 12th grade were all in one building. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Shelly Wright, the, the first country western singer to ever come out of the closet, uh, came yeah. from that hometown. What? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, when she came out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the country music scene disowned her. Yeah, big dang deal. Yeah, you would have thought that she had the scarlet letter on her chest. And it was even crazy is that that hometown, as much as I've embraced them as I go on, they used to have a big billboard of her in town that they, they took down as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy, crazy. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 the conservative small town mm-hmm. that I love. I mean, now I live in a town that's that's almost as small as the one I grew up in, have my farm life and everything else. And, you know, I just like hearing people's stories. Yeah. So so now that, that you're going on this journey and you're this fabulous person, Mason Aid, caught somewhere between a woman and a man. Isn't that a country song? If it's not, it should be. It should be, right? <laughs> what are you doing with your life? I mean, what are you into? What are you, I, what are you doing with the world? I, I'm basically like rocking it like Hamilton and going nonstop. I went from slinging pizzas to slinging lattes. Cool. So working at a not-to-be-named national coffee chain. I'll give you one guess. <laughs> Aw, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> but that job affords me the space to do the work I'm doing, which is is currently kind of in this in the space of shifting from being exclusively LGBT education and talking to businesses about how to be more more inclusive to talking about how we can live our values and what it means to live your values and wear your values on your sleeve as a person, as a business owner. You know, what does that really look like and what does that really mean? So I'm podcasting, I'm blogging, I'm doing Facebook Lives. I am just doing my best to show the fuck up. And, you know, to have these conversations, I love talking to people who don't agree with me. That's super weird. You know, I had a meeting with a local conservative pastor the other day, and, you know, he was he was actually a member of the church that I got ex- excommunicated from when I came out. And, and we had this really good in-depth conversation on how, you know, for me, I don't care if you agree with me. I don't care if you think I'm going to hell. That's up to you. But treat me with respect. Treat me like a human being. 100%. Respect my pronouns. Respect how I see myself. And meet me where I am, and I will meet you where you are. And him and I just had this beautiful, wonderful conversation of how, you know, he wants his church to be welcoming but not necessarily affirming of LGBT folks. And I was like, well, you know, that's a step. That's a start. And you know, just being able to have that conversation and and come together and say, you know, well, here's where I'm coming from. Where are you coming from? Let's, let's have this discourse. And, you know, it's, it's so, it's so interesting to me to, to see the, the, the rural people who are some of my biggest supporters and who see the work I'm doing and are like, I, like, I got a message from a girl I went to high school with who was like, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. I've learned so much. And like, she still lives back home. Right. And I'm like, that's just, it's so cool to just have the opportunity to have these conversations and to keep the discourse going. Well, here's what I enjoy about it is there used to be a, a series on TV called Glee. Uh, uh, yeah. My wife is a singer. And so if there's a musical on TV, we're watching it, right? Uh-huh. As you should. <laughs> I don't always agree with that, but, but. <laughs> 
you know, sometimes I find an excuse that I'm like, honey, I've got more work to do, right? But <laughs> Kurt was the gay guy on the show. He was a gay guy in real life, but and I saw an article, an episode or something where he talked about the responsibility he felt he had because mm-hmm. he was becoming the light for the high school kids and the junior high kids that were struggling with their own thought processes, you know, that's a lot of damn responsibility. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of responsibility, but it's, it's one that I will gladly take on. I, I got started in this work actually working with LGBT teens here in the town that I live in. We have an LGBT teen group that, that while I was helping run it, went from two kids a week to now it's at like 35 or 40 and actually split into two groups recently. And, you know, seeing these kids who were coming out as transgender, coming out as gay, as young as 12 or 13, and realizing that they have such a long, hard path in front of them. And, you know, I was like, what can I do to make things better for them? How can I make this world a little bit of a better place for these kids? And, you know, the, the answer was to just show up right? and, now, and to let, foster the conversations. Let me, because I think this will be a good debate. So I struggle with somebody making a determination that big at a young age. And the reason I struggle with it is I don't think anybody knows who the hell they are at that age. Right. Yeah. I, I think everybody is exploring everything. I mean, for guys, we're just getting into puberty. Girls are, you know, maybe a little bit before that. But, you know, we're everything's new. Yeah. So I don't know. I just it, it, that one's a tough for me at that age that people are, are putting themselves in a box. But the argument could be made. They're already in a box. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, when did you know you were a man? When did you know you were straight? That's a good question. Right? I probably recognized I had a penis when I was, you know, stealing (laughs) a diaper, but that thing has a mind of its own. But I don't think there was ever an assumption otherwise. Exactly. And for a lot of people, that's their experience. There's never, I mean, there are pictures of me and my older sister when I was probably two. And she's wearing this pretty dress. It's Christmas. We're in front of my grandma's Christmas tree. And she's doing the little, you know, pose with her head tilted. And I'm standing there, like, legs spread wide, you know, steady pose, wearing my overalls and flannel. And it's like, I'm pretty sure my parents let us dress ourselves that day. And that's just always been who I am. Yeah, but couldn't that just be argued that you were just a tomboy? Because my mom, God love her, is a dude with long hair. You know, and there's that that argument, you know, I'm really interested in how gender is enacted in rural communities versus urban communities, right? Like, there's a lot of masculine women in in rural communities. Absolutely, there are. And it's beautiful. And, you know, there are more feminine men in urban communities. Absolutely. You know, name a metrosexual man in rural Missouri. (laughs) You know, I mean, do they exist? They they Um, won't stay in that town for long. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, that's where it was really this discourse within myself of, am I a masculine woman? And that, like, I've had so many people who are like, oh, Mason, you're just butch. And I'm like, but I'm not. Like, that just feels wrong. And, and but being a man feels wrong, too. And so it's like, okay, I have to create space for me to be who I am and to find the words that feel the most authentic and feel the most right. Mm, and like, you know labels and being put in a box like as much as it kind of sucks that we have to man there's power in that there's power in saying this is who i am these are the words that i choose to use to define myself 
and we all have labels. We all put ourselves in a box. You know, well, you know. Here's an interesting because I I know I went back before you came on the show and I read how you introduced yourself a couple times, and I and it took me a while to figure it out. And honestly, I went through this whole process. Am I talking to a dude or am I talking to a chick? Right? <laughs> and no, both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so when I saw you, right? Because everybody knows I do these via Zoom and we have these conversations. I'm like, okay, definitely a female cute, pretty, and has just become okay with who she is, right? Yeah. Right? That's my perception. Yeah, and that's most people's perception, but it's not entirely accurate. Right, right. You know, and that's like navigating life, being like red as female, I mean, 98% of the time. How do I live authentically when I don't see myself as female? It's such a freaking challenge, to like, when do I assert my pronouns? When do I say, no, this is who I am? And when do I let that pass? And by the way, that word pronoun that is officially the most has ever been used on this show in the history of the show. Yes, <laughs> yes, score. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it's, it's just. Hashtag, hashtag grammar lesson. Right? <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, what's a pronoun? I think I know what a noun is. There's a verb somewhere. I don't know. Right. He, he or she. Right, right, right. I got There you. we go. I got you. I got you. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to me because here's the only way I can put it in perspective for me is I get labeled as being a Marine or being a veteran and I'm good both ways. Mm -hmm. But when I first got into corporate America, I had a vice president of a corporation walk up to me and say, you got to do two things for me because if you're really going to succeed in corporate America, you must do these two things. And I said, okay, he goes, first and foremost, you got to get rid of the twang. You are not allowed to have an accent, a country twang, anything. You can't say the word y'all. He was absolutely correct because if you have a country twang in corporate America, you're flat out just not going to make it. I think you're a dumb hillbilly. Okay. Second thing he told me is don't tell people you're a veteran. And he said because it's not going to do anything for your career being in the military because your skill sets are just not transferable into civilian nomenclature. They'll never understand it. Mm. And he wasn't wrong. And as soon as yeah. I, I didn't remove those from my life, but I didn't talk about it. You know, I lo lost the word y'all, you know, I lost the country twang and I didn't talk about being a veteran for 10 years. Interestingly enough, it was some of the most miserable times in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where there's interesting overlap between like, as far as like language and having our own languages, you know, the military has its own lingo. The LGBT community has its own lingo. You know, I could say I am a non-binary, trans-masculine, masculine of center, female assigned at birth. <laughs> and you'd be going, what? I know, I am hell? going, what the hell are you talking right? about? And you that could, you know, Encyclopedia talk, Britannica. Right? And you could, you know, talk about the FOB, and I'd be like, uh, I only know because I have some friends who are veterans. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, we have, like, even every group has its own legal. My dad is a, is a part-time rural mail carrier because Farman doesn't pay the bills anymore. Hey guys, it's Donnie here, and I just want to let you know that we've recently launched a content development company, and this company helps people get social content. You know you need to put out a lot of content nowadays to get engagement out there in all your social platforms. Well, we've come up with a really cool way to help you get videos, blog posts, memes, social posters, and infographics for you know, whatever social site you need. So check us out at 
successchamps.us and learn more about how you can get social content for your social media. Support for this podcast comes from Point Blank Safety Services and Blue Family Fund. Blue Family Fund, helping dependents of law enforcement families on their journeys. Blue Family Fund is a nonprofit that raises funds and offers financial support through higher education scholarships for dependents of law enforcement officers and by providing financial assistance for families of fallen law enforcement officers. Every dollar donated will go to the families of police officers, either through scholarships to dependents of police officers or as aid to fallen officers' families. Visit us at bluefamilyfund.com. man, he'll be using all these acronyms. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, dad, but I'm going to smile and nod because you know, you're a good old country boy who doesn't talk a lot and you're talking. So I'm going to smile and nod right. and we're going to have this conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, I get asked a lot about how my parents reacted when I came out and you know, I knew my dad was cool with it when he took me to Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the moment where, you know, we were in town he was like, what's somewhere we can get dinner on the, that's, you know, on the way out for me? And I was like, well, I listed off all the restaurants that were close by and, and you know, kind of half-jokingly mentioned Hooters as one of them. And he's like, you know, I've never been there. And I was like, you know, I haven't either. I've heard the wings are good. So my dad and I went and got wings. And, you know, as we were leaving, he said, you know, I could never take your mother or sisters here. And that was such a profound moment for me. That is a profound Of, like, my dad really, like, embracing who I am. And, <laughs> and you know, my... My, my mom is just she's awkward she's a rural person she just doesn't entirely get it but like I won an award through the LGBT center at Mizzou for the work I've done with PRISM the LGBT team group my parents came to the big gay awards ceremony where they like my mom was like I need a I need a dictionary I don't know what happened <laughs> but she was there That's my awesome. dad was there and that that was like the most beautiful moment in my life yeah and here's what I love about that is I really don't get people disengaging what they don't understand. Now, let me put one caveat on. There are certain things that I really, really, really struggle with. I went to New York, and my wife and I went to a restaurant. I go to the restroom. There is open toilets and one set of bathrooms. I looked at my wife and said, no way in hell are you walking in that bathroom. Yeah. No way in hell. There wasn't stalls. There wasn't anything. There wasn't. I'm yeah. like, no way in hell. No. We went to another restaurant, and they had one bathroom, stalls, the whole nine yards. I'm like, all right, if you need to go, go in there, right? It's yeah. fine, right? Get yeah. your own privacy. But there's certain places that need to be off limits for certain types of people, right? I mean, I struggle with some of those type of things. The bathroom issue is complicated. The locker room issue is complicated. But I think people should be able to self-select. I think, you know, the incidences of, for example, trans women in the women's bathroom, you know, doing something inappropriate is way less than the incidences of trans women getting the shit beat out of them or murdered for being in the women's bathroom or being screamed at or having security called on them. And the same for the men's bathroom. You know, where do we go? Where do trans people go to the bathroom? And there isn't a good answer. No. You know, there, there isn't, like... I am a big advocate for single stall, gender neutral bathrooms. Well, why does it have to be labeled? You go to a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It says bathroom. Exactly. You got two doors. You got two different bathrooms. 
Go exactly. whenever one. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. The and only time this becomes a problem is at massive event venues. Exactly. You know, you know, so, and even then, like, the women's room line is forever long, and the men's room line is, is you know, almost non-existent. A lot of well, and I have a lot of girlfriends that are like, screw it. I don't care if it's a dude peeing. Exactly. I'm going to go in and just pee in the urinal, you know. Exactly. Uh, like, I, a lot of people make a big deal out of it, but, like, open stalls, I wouldn't be comfortable going in. No. And I think a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable going in, no. even if they're, you know, cisgender, which is the opposite of transgender. What is it? Cisgender. Cisgender. Yeah, it means cis, cis means like same as, and I think Greek, and so it's like saying your gender identity, so how you view yourself, is the same as what the doctor said when you were born. Mm. And then transgender is is that the way you see yourself is different from the way that what the doctor said when you were born. Gotcha. The, so. the one sign that I absolutely cannot stand, and I think it's the stupidest sign in the world, is the picture of the half dude, half woman. <laughs> yeah. No, I, the door. That one's I'm always like, kind of awkward to me. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I relate to that deeply, but most people don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, um, there are better signs, like just bathroom. So, have a picture of a toilet. Like, right. that's universal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I, and I think when you do things like that, you're pointing out that there's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to talk about it, right? I think we need to be put on the table. I think there needs to be options. I think we need to figure it out. But when you come from a standpoint of it's a problem or it's an issue, you increase that it's a problem or an issue, yeah. Right. Versus taking a different stance and let's paint a different picture. Let's just put a toilet up there. Right. Exactly. You know, it's you moving forward as there's no difference versus putting a picture out saying we are different. Yeah. That's my belief. You know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, there are people who don't identify as male or female. Hello. But most transgender people identify as male or identify as female. They were just born the opposite way and and you know that's like i mean there are a lot of trans people you you wouldn't have no idea they're trans like i've got a buddy who like i mean he is he is freaking huge he is built he lifts weights he's got you know like a full beard you'd have no idea like you just think he's a short dude and then i know a lot of trans women who it's like i'm shocked when they disclose that they're trans and, and, you know, there are people who don't pass as well. <laughs> like, it's a fact, you know. But people need to have respect and have the option to be authentic and to live who they are. And mm -hmm. we need to create space. And we need to figure that out. And we need to have the conversation. You know, I, I don't know that there is a right answer. And that's where it's complicated is, you know, I mean, in a perfect dream world, no one would give a shit where you shit. But we don't live in that world. True. True. You know, what can we do to move the, move the conversation forward and actually have it instead of just fighting? Right, right. And I think part of the stage is, you know, this is definitely a, an arena to create awareness about it. And I know I'm going to catch hell over the show because anytime I have these type of conversations, <laughs> I catch hell over it. And I love it anyways. Yeah, you know, I mean, I believe... we got we to have these conversations. Yeah, all day long. You know? Um, and I would just a firm believer that that conflict creates content, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if I don't got somebody yelling at me, I'm not doing something right. <laughs> right? Like I'm like if if I'm not pissing someone off, what am I doing? Right, right. 
Right. You know, but that's like, I, man, you know, being from a rural farming community, being a farmer's kid, I seem to have a different perspective on this conversation. You know, I was, I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago and this 72 year old farm guy from rural Missouri, who's been a state representative, judge, lawyer, said I gave one of the best presentations he's ever seen, that I was able to talk about this really theoretical, deep gender stuff and still be a Shelby County kid at the same time. And that's the highest compliment I've ever been paid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if I can have a 72-year-old guy say, you know, I don't get it, but you did a really good job of presenting that, and I learned a lot, and it, it made me think, like, I am doing my job. I love it. You love it. Yeah. That's really cool. So tell me about this prison program that you're doing. Yeah. So I'm not as involved in it anymore. It's kind of how I got my start and how I started doing the, the education and advocacy work. But it is an LGBT teen group now for kids ages 11 through 18. We have two different groups, 11 through 15 and 15 through 18, kind of a middle school and high school. But that like freshman eighth grade year, you kind of get to self-select where you where you fit. But it's educational. It's, it's a it's a space for these teenagers to hang out and be who they are and to not worry about, you know, getting beat up or getting yelled at or having names called on them or having, you know, the wrong pronouns used or the wrong name used. It's just a space where they can be who they are and figure out who they are, right? Like we have to have space to ask these questions and maybe, maybe, you know, at 13, we're not sure who we are, but we have to have permission to ask and we have to have permission to play and to figure out and to be respected. You know, it's 13, 14, 15, 18 it is is very much a, a time of change and of self-discovery. But the number of kids who who come out and then uncome out is, is really very low. You know, there's there's a lot of there are people who are like, you know, well, maybe. And then they're like, well, no. But there are a lot of people who are like, well, maybe, and then they're like, well, yeah, actually, this is well, who I am. That's interesting to me. So the years I bartended, we had a group of gals that, that hung out. Some of them were bartenders with us, and we called them Lesbian Nation because I'm sorry, but the lesbians, when they go to a bar, they go to a bar. I mean, yes, they go yes. in, in volumes. <laughs> so we always called them Lesbian Nation. And you hope they were all in a good mood. If it was a good mm -hmm. mood, it was good tip nice. But if one was pissed off, they were all pissed off. <laughs> and some of them listen to the shows, but I still love you ladies, right? But interesting is how many girls on the periphery mm -hmm. that were outside of them came into them went for the, the lesbian experience and are now married to guys. I know several of them in, in that instance. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, bisexuality exists. True. There are people who, who are attracted to both men and women. And it seems to be that probably because of the way our society is, women are more open to sexual experiences with women than men are with other men. Well, let's just put you it know. on the table. Women just look better than dudes. Period. I mean, that's true. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm partial. But, <laughs> well, so am I. Right? <laughs> well, you know, there you go. But, you know, it's, it's much more socially acceptable for a woman to... And, and like sexuality is fluid. It changes over your lifetime, you know, and, and I think I think that's OK. I think it's OK for people to discover who they are so long as they're not hurting someone in the process. Right. Right. You know, it's OK to ask questions and do an experiment and maybe, you know, be a be a lesbian for a night. But you know what? How, if, if you're not hurting anyone and if the person who you are having that experience with knows that that's what's happening. Cool. You do you. Right. Right, right. As long as it's all consensual, right? Exactly. You know, it's 
Now, these it's, kids going through the program, do their parents know that they're part of this program, or is it a secret? For the most part, parents know. I'm sure there are some kids who who's, who go with friends or whose parents, you know, think they're going to youth group or something. You know, they use kind of a general. But most of the kids the parents know and are very supportive. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You know, in, in a lot of small towns, I don't see them pulling that type of group off. Yeah. I mean, the town I live in now is, you know, it's a university town. It's 120,000. Like not huge, right, but right. but not a small town by by any. And you know, it is also the town that all of the rural gays come to. <laughs> you know, all of the LGBT people who I know who have come out that I went to high school with have spent some time in the town I live in. Well, and I think there are certain areas that are known to be mm-hmm. kind. Is that the right word? Maybe yeah, to, yeah. to that lifestyle. Safe spaces. Yeah, yeah. For for people like me. You know, my lifestyle, my life. Oh, here we go. You and Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to get that right. I'm never going to get that right. So what if somebody wanted to start something like that in their area? Hit me up. I actually have, have a buddy who has started an LGBT alliance in Cooper County, Missouri, which I think has a population of 17,000 in the entire county. And he has started this group that is thriving. They marched in, you know, the little small town parade in Boonville, Missouri, you know, like the, the homecoming type parade. Now, and, I, I got this visual in my head. Hold, sorry, that he's in this little parade where they got the sheriff on a bike. You know, they got like three. I, I mean, basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Like and that, here these guys are with the, you know, the rainbow. With flag. the rainbow flags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like they have gone around like the town of Boonville, which has, I think, maybe 8000 people. And they've gotten stickers that these businesses have put in their windows saying, I support the Cooper County LGBT Alliance with a rainbow flag of their county. That's cool. It's friggin' amazing. It's so cool what he has done and what he has created. And, man, I'm just so excited to know him and to have that example of, like, rural communities are more open and accepting than, than we think they are. We make these assumptions. You know, I go back home to Shelby County and – you know, I may get a few sideways glances and maybe people who just don't understand, but I am treated with kindness and respect 90% of the time to to 100% of the time. You know, I, I feel entirely safe and comfortable in my own community. Other well, communities, not so much, but you look at insider versus outsider status in rural communities, right? right, right like right. you're one of us or you're not. Right. <laughs> and I'm one of them. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm curious if this is just an assumption or you find some truth behind it, but for me is I think more people that find themselves in trouble is because they're trying to put themselves on stage. I mean, they're trying to get people to, to see them a certain way versus just being who they are. What I mean is the people that are over the top. I think there might be a small degree of that, but I think for the most part, people are just trying to be who they are and it's scary to other people, you know, I am super fabulous, but I'm lucky to be read as female because if I was read as male and was as feminine as I am personality wise, I wouldn't feel safe. And, you know, like I have had moments where I've been on road trips and in small town Kansas and, you know, asked my friend to go to the bathroom with me because I didn't feel safe. And I got stared down by the by the lady sitting outside of the restroom. And, you know, there's a meme that has a picture of a women's room that says get yelled at and a picture of a men's room that says get beat up. <laughs> And like, right. I mean, it's, it's frighteningly accurate. And, you know, I have friends who have been beat up. I have friends who have, have had their life threatened and they are not over the top 
you know, performance-based people. You know, they're just, they're just trying to live their life and trying to be who they are. And, you know, I mean, trans people have really high rates of urinary tract infections because they hold it so long because there's not safe spaces to go to the bathroom. Right, right, right. That's unfortunate. You know, but I never even thought about that, but you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I go to the women's room unless it's like a single stall men's room and the women's room is occupied and I really got to go, then like, screw it. I'm going because I need to go. But I choose the women's room because I feel safer there, but I don't always feel safe. Right. You know, when I go to the women's room by myself, I dart in, wash my hands, dart out. You know, I make it happen as quickly as possible and keep my head down because, you know, from the back, I've got a shaved head on the back. You know, from the front, I read pretty female, but from the back, you know, I could see somebody reading me as male and freaking out. And, you know, I've luckily never been in that position, but, you know, I don't know what I do. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Is uh, I think the only time that I would ever freak out is if my nieces, when they were little, and I never took my nieces into a bathroom. I was the uncle. I'm the cool. Uncle. I don't want to be anywhere near that yeah. shit. Literally. You're the uncle. Right, 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 right. I would have never have taken them into a restroom. But had I ever, and you know, a I don't know. It would just be a weird scenario to have certain type of people walk in at that moment. How I would have reacted. Yeah, and you know, that's how would you react? Right. Right. And nobody knows what they'll do until they find themselves in a situation. You know, that's like, it's, you know, I mean, it's a complex situation and I see the complexity of it, but man, trans people got to (laughs) pee. You know, we gotta, we gotta find some sort of solution, some sort of answer that allows people to go to the freaking bathroom. Well, that's what it comes down to. One funny suggestion. And I mean, it's completely humor. If you were once a dude and not a woman, right, you can still go pee behind a tree as long as you got the plumbing. <laughs> hey, you know what? I've got to pee behind trees before. Right. Before, and I don't have if you grew up on a farm, you've peed like, behind a tree somewhere. I've, I've peed behind a tree on the back 40. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of us that have peed on the side of the freeway, too, you know. <laughs> you know, it's. Trans people are not out there to be disingenuous 98, 99% of the time. Yeah, there are those people out there, but there's those creepers out there in every population. Oh, yeah. Right? And we can't assume that trans people are predators because it is so far from the truth. And unfortunately, I'm not going to bash the media even though I hate them. They don't always want to spin the happy light. No. I mean, I... I would be dead if I hadn't come out. I would be dead if I wasn't living authentically in this space in the middle. That's the fact of the matter. I I would be either dead or living in a group home. I chose to come out. I chose to work towards happiness and success. And that was not an easy choice. I lost friends. I lost family. And, but it's still the best thing I ever did. Well, and I think you got to continue to look at it as you also gain family. Exactly. Exactly. I have two, two siblings whom I have adopted who, who are family. Like we're recording on Halloween, going to go over to my, my sister's house and, you know, trick or treat in her neighborhood. And I've gotten to a point where I don't qualify my best friend. Who's basically my sister. She's my sister. We may not be blood related, but she's my sister. 
Yeah. Same thing. I got buddies that I've grown up with for 30 years that are brothers to me. I mean, guys I served in the military that are brothers to me. You know, you don't have to be blood to be brothers. Exactly. Sisters, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Dude, I got to tell you, I'm really honored to have you come on here and share your story. This has been one fun journey. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, I still think you're batshit crazy, but you know. You do you, and I'll do me, and 100%. we'll live happily ever after. There we go. 100%. 100%. So here's how I like to, to wrap up every show, and I do stump some people on this, so, so be forewarned. As people continue to listen to the show, I'm not stumping as many, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> if you could leave my audience with a quote, a saying, a phrase, a mantra, something they can carry with them on their journey, especially if they're going through it, right? They're going through that dark time in their life. They're looking for the light, trying to figure the way out. What would be that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. Just keep swimming, man. Dory the Fish fish had it right. Like I didn't get from being a super depressed bipolar kid to being, you know, graduated from therapy safely, greatly on my meds and taken care of. That didn't happen overnight, man. It was, it was one baby step after another. Just keep swimming. Just keep making forward motion, even if you're going against the tide. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. You need to get that put on a T-shirt for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mason, thanks so much for coming on here and do this. Thanks for letting me pick on you and ask all my crazy-ass questions. <laughs> you know, I really, really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Donnie's Success Champions podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our current guest today, or if you'd like to hear stories from our other guests on the show, come hang out with us on our website at successchampspodcast.com. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can catch me at Donnie at DonnieBovine.com. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success because that's what it means to be a success champion.